I find it fascinating that many, perhaps most, of the older cities in the world have rivers running through them. London is situated on the Thames, Rome, the Tiber, Cairo, the Nile, Baghdad, the Tigris, Paris, the Seine, Budapest, the Danube, and I can go on and on. When I see a river running through a city, whether the Mississippi in St. Louis or the Neva in St. Petersburg, it reminds me that water is life-giving. And for all of our modern technologies, we are still as dependent on water now as we were in ancient times. If the rivers of the world were to dry up, it is not only commerce that would be crippled or aestheticism that would ache, but life itself would languish because that which is desiccated would surely die. Good morrow, everybody. My name is Ben Laboot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry, a podcast dedicated to revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. In the last episode, we concluded by noting that the story of the Bible began in a garden but points to an end in a city. We also talked about the veil and the tabernacle, and later on in the Jewish temple Beit HaMikdash, and how that veil contained Garden of Eden symbolism. In the same way that unveiling God two weeks ago was really a continuation of the trouble with gardens two weeks before that, let's continue the theme and discuss two rivers. One appears on the first page of the Bible, and the other appears on the last page. The first book of the Bible says that there was a river flowing out of Eden that watered the garden and divided into four rivers, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, ends with imagery of a river flowing out from New Jerusalem. The narrator said, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Water is beautiful, and water is life. But to fully understand what water means in the Bible, why the text begins and ends with rivers. We need to look elsewhere in the Bible to see what role water has played in the grand epic about God and man's relationship. Then we will be able to appreciate why the river in New Jerusalem will be so significant. Water is life. Or rather, to be more precise, water is not life itself, but a requirement for it. Yet we understand the meaning behind the reductive maxim that water is life. We understand that people need to live in a place that has access to water. 
That is why cities are almost always either on a coast or along a river, to be close to life-giving water. In the ancient Near East, where freshwater lakes are scarce, there are basically three sources of water, springs and rivers, wells, and rainwater, which can be collected in cisterns. Of these three, four if you include lakes, which are few and far between, rivers are the most consistent and preferred. With a reliable river, there is a consistent source of life. In an agrarian society, like those described in the Bible, like that of the ancient Israelites, the dependence on water was far more obvious than it is for we modern city dwellers. Farmers, you can see, tend to have a greater appreciation for water than their urban counterparts. The Bible, written by such agrarian societies, describes water in myriad ways, but always as a positive. Indeed, rain is usually synonymous with the blessing of God. Rivers of water, often described as living water, are representative of life, particularly life with God and shared in God's goodness. Consider Elijah, who, speaking at God's command, said that there would be neither dew nor rain for three years because the royalty, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, were leading the people in worship of the foreign god Baal because they had turned to a foreign storm god, i.e. a god of rain. In irony and punishment, the Lord, God of Israel, withheld from them the blessing of rain. Consider also Moses, who, after forty years in the wilderness, received his final test from God in the form of water, because the people were in an arid wilderness. They were thirsty, without water, and feared death. In response, the Israelites lambasted Moses for leading them into that place of scarcity, which lacked a most basic necessity. Then God said to Moses, Gather the people together, take your staff in hand, and speak to the rock so that water will burst forth and flow from it. Moses gathered the people, but instead of speaking to the rock, in disobedience to God, Moses struck the rock with his staff. The water still flowed forth, but because Moses did not obey God's instructions, he was forbidden from entering the promised land. Water is ubiquitous throughout the Bible. It is all over the place. We can get a sense of its significance by looking at a variety of stories. But to really understand the river in New Jerusalem, we need to look at prophecies, specifically messianic prophecies. The Hebrew word messiach, messiah, whose Greek equivalent is Christos or Christ, means anointed one, that is, the anointed one of God. But what does that mean? Well, three types of people are anointed, prophets, priests, and kings. For example, when he was but a lad, David, son of Jesse, was visited by Samuel, one of the great prophets of the Lord. Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed David king of Israel. It was then many years before David sat on the throne, but after his death, 
he would forever be remembered as Israel's greatest king. David's successor was his son Solomon, another great king to whom God bestowed unparalleled wisdom. But Solomon's successor was Jeroboam, and he led the great nation of Israel into a downward spiral from which it would never fully recover. Since that time, the people hoped for another great leader to rise up, unite the nation, restore their relationship with God, and return Israel to its former glory. Since the passing of David, the people hoped for a new King David, an anointed one of the Lord, a Messiah. And many of the Bible's prophecies prophesied about the days when that hoped-for Messiah would establish a new reign. In that day is what they would prophesy. Take, for instance, when the prophet Yoel said, And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow forth with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. A fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and it shall water the valley of Shittim. The prophet Ezekiel also had a vision about the messianic kingdom that included water flowing from the temple. Ezekiel said that the water would flow all the way to the Dead Sea and turn the Dead Sea into a sea of life. And listen to what is written in the 55th chapter of Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. As a final example, listen to what the prophet Zechariah said. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. By eastern and western seas, Zechariah was referring to the Dead and Mediterranean seas, respectively. Even from this small sample, we can begin to see a pattern, that visions of the Messianic kingdom are accompanied by living water flowing forth from Beit HaMikdash, the temple of the Lord, and bringing life along its course. The river's life-giving capacity is so powerful that it will even bring life to the Dead Sea. When we look at the river, its source being the temple, is symbolic because it implies that the living water, life itself, flows directly from God. The river's terminus, being the Dead Sea and elsewhere, is also symbolic because it implies that God's blessing, the living water, will flow out to the whole world, to the Eastern Sea and to the Western Sea, places that are outside of Jerusalem. Because God called Abraham to be more than just the patriarch of Judaism. God said, I will make your lineage a blessing to all nations. In the Messianic visions, the prophets are seeing ahead to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to a time and place where there will be life arising from the Lord's house, Beit HaMikdash, and flowing into all the world, available to all people, everyone who thirsts. Moreover, Zechariah said that the waters will continue in summer as in winter. That is, 
The river of living water will never run scarce or dry out, but will be constant for all time. Fast forwarding to the time of Jesus. It is midday, and Jesus is sitting at a well outside of Sychar, in the land of Samaria. The woman approaches to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus claims the ability to give her, and all who choose to drink it, water that will never run dry. And what's more, that water will well up inside of her and pour forth as living water. Essentially, Jesus says that he can make her into a mini-temple of the messianic kingdom, a sentiment that the Apostle Paul will echo when he rhetorically asks the congregation at Corinth, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? As the dialogue continues between Jesus and the woman at the well, she tells Jesus that she anticipates the coming of the Messiah. Remember that the Messiah, also called Christ, is the anointed one of God, the new king that will be even better than David was, who will raise up God's people. The woman at the well says, I know that he is coming. And Jesus replies, I, who am speaking to you now, am he. But the encounter at the well wasn't the only time that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah by invoking prophecies about living water. A little while after that scene, Jesus was in Jerusalem for Sukkot, which in English we call the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkot is one of three Jewish pilgrim holidays, which in the day and age of Jesus meant that all able-bodied Jews were to attempt pilgrimage to Jerusalem for that holiday. The idea is a little like that of the Muslim Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca that all devout Muslims should make at least once in their lifetime. But for the ancient Jews, there was not one pilgrimage, but three annual pilgrimages, attended not once throughout one's life, but three times each and every year. Sukkot was a feast that dated back to the time of Moses and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. The Torah, specifically the book of Leviticus, outlined the instructions for Sukkot, saying that it was a harvest time celebration designed to help the people recall their 40 years of wandering. To do so, each family was to build a small tent or hut, that is a booth or tabernacle, and dwell in it for seven days. Sleeping outside in a booth would not only help remind the people of their time spent living in the wilderness, but remind them also of where God had taken them and how he had blessed them. Because after the seven days, they could go back to living in houses. And since Sukkot occurs during harvest, the people would have an abundance of fresh food awaiting their return. A luxury, of course, that they did not have during the time of Moses. 
at the time of Jesus, the seven-day festival was celebrated like this. On the first day, priests drew water from the pool of Siloam and brought it to Beit HaMikdash in a golden container. They drew enough water to last for all seven days, and each day thereafter, a priest would carry the water around the altar and pour a little bit of the water out. That act symbolized the people's dependence on God, because they were an agrarian society dependent on God's blessing of rain. And finally, on the last day of the feast, called the Great Day, the priest circled the altar seven times and then poured out the remainder of the water. So it happened that, only a little while after the encounter with the woman at the well, Jesus, like all able-bodied devout Jews, was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. And the Gospel of John says that, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus made the bold claim that he himself was living water. But it was even more than that, because by his actions, Jesus invoked every instance of water contained in the scriptures. From the rock that Moses struck and the drought that Elijah announced to the messianic kingdom prophesied by the many prophets. Jesus invoked every life-giving river from the great river that flowed through the land of Eden to the one that will flow forth from Beit HaMikdash to the Dead Sea and all the world. By his actions at Sukkot, Jesus said that he was God's provision for the people and that he himself was their blessing so that whoever believes in him will be like Beit HaMikdash, the temple of the Lord, the place where God and mankind meet. Furthermore, whoever believes in Jesus as the anointed one of God, the Messiah about whom the prophet spoke, that person will become a blessing to the entire world, with an imminent river of life-giving water flowing out into the world. Thank you for joining Stories of Symmetry. My name is Ben Laboot, and I hope that you will join again in two weeks as we continue our discussion about the Messiah. In the meantime, I encourage you to tell your friends and family about this podcast and share it with them. If you believe that Stories of Symmetry is worthwhile in your life, then perhaps they'll feel the same way. And as always, you can also subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to help get it seen by more people. If you have the resources and desire, then you can also provide financial support by donating to Stories of Symmetry at storiesofsymmetry.com give. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Take some time to ponder over all that we talked about today. And as you do so, go with God, go in peace.